The secret effect sometimes covers family violence, which could be triggering to someone who has experienced abuse. Listener discretion is advised. This is the jackass version of our opening. I'm Biddy. And I'm Katie. And we're about to do the wasabi peanut. I go straight into it. Oh my god. G'day. Uh, my name's Katie. Fuck. <laughs> Gone up my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sociologist <laughs> and I'm a writer. Ah, <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, you know the rest. We realize the importance of our voice when we are silenced. Welcome to <laughs> the secret effect. <laughs> This was a terrible idea. <laughs> spooky season. Yes. <laughs> it's on. It's on. It's Autumn. spooky season. Oh, I love it so much. It's my favorite. And we're back. It's been so long. Mm. But it also now doesn't feel like it's been long at all, of course, because... That's right. Slipped right back into it. Yeah, exactly. We're back. We're back with the secret effect. In the autumn leaves. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, that's my work emails, which we're just muting. Yeah. Which I should have already had on mute. Which we were talking about, <laughs> how it's so stressful. Because I have an Apple Watch and it's constantly buzzing and so fucking annoying. It's like, reminder to stand up. <laughs> What? It reminds you to stand there. It has these little like bars, these circles stuff, and it just gives you the most irritating reminders throughout the day. I don't know who this is made for, but I don't think for me. No. I got it as a heartbeat thing. Oh, yeah. To figure out my heartbeat when I'm doing exercise. And then, it, and then you become obsessed with it. You start mm. like like a couple minutes before midnight running around your room like a lunatic trying to get that extra 45 steps in as if that's right. going to help your health in any way. <laughs> Just so you meet the 10,000 a day or yeah. something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Have you found that you've done less in the last few weeks or the last couple of months? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, since I went nuts in COVID because during um, the proper lockdown, I went like ham on... Uh, which is Philly for or hard as a motherfucker. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of that one. <laughs> uh, I went ham uh, and like working out during COVID. Mm. Um, and so I was like obsessed with it. And then since then, back to work and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like one drink leads to eight. <laughs> oh, my God. It sounds like the, yeah. The daily sitch. Yeah. Yeah. But Why is Prosecco so good? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good to me. Prose- I got hooked mm. on Prosecco lately. I wasn't a fan of it because the bubbles were too much and now mm. it's all I want to drink. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely softer than Carver though. Carver's mm-hmm. so bubbly. That's true. But, um... That's true. Maybe anyway. I just didn't even know the difference because Prosecco, Champagne, and Cava, I'm mm. just like, they're all interchangeable for me at this point. Yeah. Well, they're all... Yummy, yeah. bubbly wines. I mean, how can you go wrong with any of them? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but oh, we're, but well, in- we're back. Yeah. And <laughs> it's been a while. There's been just madness up in the air, but I don't. We don't have to explain it to you. It's our podcast, and <laughs> the world's on fire. So, mm-hmm. so we're back, and we missed you all, and I missed Katie. Mm-hmm. I missed you too, Biddy. <laughs> and we're so glad to be back. Yeah. So yeah, back with our betwixie. Betwixie. What are we talking about today? Uh, I think this is Betwixie 7, and today we wanted to shift the Betwixies along a little bit from our, I think we did a three-part kind of a series of mm. Betwixies on the um, the fertility doctors. So we wanted to shift along from there um, and talk about um, some adoption family secrets. Okay. Specifically, we wanted to look at transnational adoption, which is adoption where people um, are adopted from one country and then they are adopted into a family in another country. So sometimes across the other side of the world. So there's particular issues there um, around place and culture and um, these kinds of things mm-hmm. um, that are additional perhaps to um, uh an in-country adoption experience that we wanted to talk about. Okay. And then how does that tie in with secrets? Are these like, like, well, growing up, I guess, and finding out, or is that, I guess this is all based on me thinking that you might not look very much like your parents. Yes, exactly. I think that's one of the biggest issues that people find um, fitting in and um, becoming um, aware of themselves and, and of their identities in their, um, adoptive family, which is the family that has adopted them. Um, in terms of family secrets, there, uh, are a lot, especially in countries who, countries where record keeping is not so strong. And so when people start to try and find out who their biological parent or parents are, the state, these countries can um, not give people this information. Right. Um, and you can find situations where people might be adopted into a country that is maybe a little more progressive or at least the laws around finding out who your biological parents are in an adoption are have relaxed and you are able to access that information about your biogenetic history. But maybe the country that you were born in your birth parents were in, they don't allow. And so you're kind of caught between two worlds. Um, And today we wanted to have a chat about um, two stories of transnational adoption. Um, The first one is with um, a woman named Cara Boss, who is a friend of a friend of mine. And um, the second one is um, a man named Atami Kawaiu, Forgive me for not probably not pronouncing that name correctly, um, but we will talk through a couple of stories that will kind of just bring to life these um, family secret experiences Ooh. around transnational adoption. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Got my cotton candy grapes. <laughs> the cotton candy grapes. We just have to explain this. Yes. Hold first. on. A <laughs> Very floss for yeah. all of our Australian listeners. Mm-hmm. It's from my friend and my and my roommate Stacy uh, found them at the grocery store the other day at Albert Hine. And they're grapes, but they taste like grapes infused with cotton candy. <laughs> it's bizarre, but they're just normal grapes mm-hmm. called cotton candy grapes. 
and they've got this super sweet um sugary feeling on your teeth after you finish eating the grape yeah i wonder if they make wine out of these grapes (laughs) (laughs) straight to the wine (laughs) fizzy wine even maybe we could make prosecco that's so funny yeah let's do it let's do it um (laughs) this uh this instagram account did reach out to me the other day because i posted that like half naked photo of myself to try and get people to vote (laughs) i posted a picture of the vote sticker on my boob Mm -hmm. and um someone reached out to me and was like hey do you want to make videos from our account and it was like this like video account where they crush food with their feet Oh. So maybe it's a two for one. Like, I'll just bring some cotton candy grapes, I'll get paid <laughs> by them, and I'll make wine for us. <laughs> that is the perfect plan. And it's a pretty cool career move, too. Listen, it, I'm not above it. If it pays yeah. in this in this climate, I'll take what I can get. And all you yeah. can see is my feet. I yeah. don't care. You could even sell feet pics of you doing the grape work mm-hmm. at the same time. I mean, that's three businesses in one. Right. Honestly. Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you did (laughs) at some point. I am now. (laughs) Let's do it. Okay. Okay, so sorry. And Kara. Yes. Kara? Yes. So um, Kara Boss, um, she's um, a woman who lives here in the Netherlands at the moment. Um, She was adopted from uh, South Korea. Um, and she now lives here and Kara has been, she's around, um, in her mid thirties and she's been trying to find her birth family, um, for a really long time now for many years. Um, and she discovered through the use of DNA Mm -hmm. test kits, which we've covered in a few previous Betwixies. So check those out if you're interested in DNA testing and family secrets, Um, But she found out through her DNA test that there is a, so she had a suspicion about somebody. She found there's a 99.9981, so basically almost 100% chance, probability that this particular 85-year-old man in South Korea and her were father and daughter. Mm -hmm. So it's proven by this DNA test almost within the skerrick of a doubt. I think I just mixed a metaphor there, but that's fine. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, um, Kara has spent a lot of time trying to reach her family. She wanted to connect with uh, her birth mother in particular, but um, she still doesn't know who her birth mother is, but she was able to identify this man as her birth father. Mm-hmm. So she's been trying to reach him but she has been blocked by this man's half sisters um, and other family members. So she hasn't been able to get anywhere with it yet. Oh, and then yet. Yes. Okay. The plot thickens. Kara, after years of trying and trying every Avenue, by the way, she's been extremely determined and very conscientious at trying to get to the bottom of this. Even regardless of people blocking her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the yearning for knowing who her mother is has just been so powerful and it feels like a human right, right. to to know who your mum is, your birth mother. Yeah. I mean, this is 
when you think about that and Kara says herself something like at the end of the day this is a story about a girl trying to find her mother right I mean it's yeah this is this is very powerful um desire so she doesn't even necessarily wonder too much about the dad not so much not so much um uh that's a good question we should we should maybe reach out to her and excuse me and ask yeah i Um, wonder why maybe because he hasn't she knows him and he hasn't shown any interest and so maybe she's Mm. i mean this is all just me Mm speculating yeah it could be I mean Kara had mentioned that when she had her own daughter she started reflecting on a really deep level about what it means to be a mother right um and what it would be like to give up a daughter and I think that has spurred her on um in her own particular quest um so she doesn't have any details about her conception um Finally, after all of this work that she's done over many years, she ended up putting a lawsuit. Oof. And that suit was around um, wanting access to information about who her mother is. That's what it was about. Um, And she wanted to use this DNA test to be able to show this is my father. Um, I should be able to contact him and ask who my mother is. Mm -hmm. And hopefully the court would enable that to happen. Um, so Kara won at, at the court. This was, this just happened, um, a couple of months ago and it's the first time in South Korea that this kind of a court the uh, case has gone to court and Kara was successful how where's so how do you does Kara have to go to court there but in and not necessarily here she would just go there and be like hi and I don't even know how you do that mm, <laughs> yeah you, you you do a lawsuit in a different country mm. I can only imagine it was very complicated because of the, I think the transnational adoption scenario, it just must add layers of complexity because you have one law here, you have international law, you have South Korean law. Mm -hmm. I mean, you also have the passing of time. Kara's in her mid thirties. And I guess in the, um, the eighties when she was born, um, perhaps it was quite different. And so maybe different laws apply culturally the countries are extremely different as well i mean um kara has talked about that there is a lot of um shame and secrecy around children who were born out of wedlock in the 70s and 80s in south korea maybe elsewhere in the world as well i can imagine although maybe by the 70s and 80s things were starting to become a bit less stigmatized but very strong over there apparently um and yeah so when Kara was reflecting recently on the fallout Mm -hmm. from all of this because putting a lawsuit like this is not something anyone would really want to do no of course not it's last last resort basically yeah it's definitely lost the magic of Mm. running into your mother's arms and 
Right. You know, it just feels that's so, it must be so hard. Because, yeah, what you feel like, <clears throat> gosh, it's so hard to get to her. And mm-hmm. does she even want to see me? And what, it, what, what about my behaviors are going to have an effect on her? Mm-hmm. You know, if she's worked really hard to distance herself from me, if that is the case, mm. then, you know, oof. Yeah, definitely. There's so many questions. Yeah. And it's almost like the further along you go with it, there must just be more and more questions that yeah. she's thinking of. Um, uh, because, of course, there's those questions around, you know, why and what happened and what were the circumstances mm-hmm. and what was your life like and your family and, you know, how did you meet this man? And maybe she's got all of these kinds of questions, but also the questions that emerge as you're saying, from this lawsuit and what that means, um, maybe the mum would have, would, would, I mean, this is just speculating, yeah. but maybe she would think, um, you know, I'm touched that you've gone to such an effort. Mm-hmm. I tried to put it all behind me yeah. and, and move on. But actually, um, you know, you've yeah. gone to so much effort and it's, um, it's heartwarming or maybe, it was traumatic. I mean, we don't know the circumstances around the conception. Yeah. This this man is um, around approximately 50 years older than Kara. Mm. So a 50-year-old dad. I don't know how old Kara's mum is, but I assume that she wasn't 50. I assume she was significantly younger. Right. Maybe there's something going on there. Yeah. I mean, who is this mum and what relationship did she or does she have to this 85 year old man? Yeah, it's yeah. really that's and if she's being blocked from him right yeah 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 who knows um yeah that's fascinating mm. as well like it's um there is so much that is across the board i'd say in most cultures but just as human beings there's so much weight put on being a mother mm-hmm and there are some mothers who don't like being mothers mm-hmm. like that's also uh, you know it feels so taboo to say that mm-hmm. but um there are some mothers who didn't want it and don't want it and when they have kids it's not like some magic trigger is switched and they love being a mom mm-hmm. <laughs> they never wanted it they didn't want to be a mom there's loads of women who are like that you know i'm not sure if i want kids and um it's yeah which is it must be especially working she's she's become really vulnerable at this point and if she feels so vulnerable to me which like more power to her mm. like seems like something she's really um stuck on figuring out and that's she's got to do what she's got to do for herself mm-hmm. for sure yeah that's right and for her child as well i mean um it's without Without this, this is clearly, um, there's a big gap there for her in the puzzle of her identity. This is um, also a gap for her when she speaks with her daughter. I mean, there's, who's her grandmother? Nobody knows. Um, And this, um, you know, 85-year-old man, currently 85, who is the the biological great grandparent of Kara's child so yeah it's um I think 
the feeling of needing to know just must have exacerbated so much and maybe the the perspective changed and deepened when when she became a mother um yeah yeah so the hunt begins it's it's and it's I guess it's not just for her either but it's for her child yeah so she's done the lawsuit but it's Mm -hmm. been less than magical now because there's like a loss there's a lawsuit happening Mm. is this recent has she is and she won yes so what happens now yeah well the hopefully Kara will be able to um contact her biological father and he will be obliged to give information um we we can keep an eye on how that unfolds and we can let our listeners know wow so it's Um, happening in real time yeah absolutely just just now but does he know do we know if he knows yeah pretty sure he knows i mean the fact that his family members have blocked yeah him and protected him they formed a shield human shields around this guy it it um i mean you could it's implied i'm so curious what that circumstance is yeah yeah me too i'm so curious yeah it's um um kara was recently reflecting actually after this happened so it was just um announced i think it was during um august i think 2020 so uh Kara didn't go to the press about this. She didn't take this public. It was it, it was revealed. It was exposed Whoa. by the media and the media really picked it up because there had been um, around the world. Whoa. Okay. There was, had been no case like this before and it's received a huge amount of international attention because it could set a precedent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's clearly um in south korea until this moment there has been um a greater emphasis on protecting the parent and on maintaining the secrecy perhaps because of those um embedded things around shame and stigma and and what have you for having children out of wedlock which is i think what kara thinks it is Mm -hmm. however kara was talking about how um yeah, in the fallout from this judgment, what the response has been. And I just thought, oh, my God, there must have been an outpouring of love and support and people saying, thank God, now you can go further on your path. This is going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. You'll find who you are, la, la, la. Mm. And it's been quite a mixed bag. Right, She's yeah. received some praise. She's received some support. Mm maybe for other people out there in a similar circumstance and i understand there were quite a lot of transnational adoptions with um, south korean babies and little kids out of south korea and into families around the world so maybe people in a similar situation feel like okay maybe there's hope for me mm-hmm. and that's really really a positive yeah but then she's also received a lot of criticism mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. that she should leave let sleeping dogs lie. Leave well and, enough alone. Yeah. Lots of uh, people out there yeah. shifting their belts left and right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let, um, leave the past to the past. Yeah. Focus on the future. Why do you need to know? You're stirring up trouble, blah, mm. blah, blah. So she has actually received a lot of criticism. And it really struck me that Kara did not 
promote this publicly. She didn't go out. This was taken her very, very personal story was taken and exposed. And now it's on the world's it's in the media. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I think there's, um, there's something there too. And I don't know if we can really, um, make a comment, but fuck, I'm going to make a comment. Go ahead. I just feel like how there's, there's no scruples there. Surely journalistic ethics have to come into play because this woman, her very personal story, her family, secret story she's trying to uncover mm. for her own identity for for her family has just been ripped from her and it's taken been taken out too early i mean maybe she might have liked to share her story eventually mm-hmm. but that is one other thing that's also out of her control and yeah. it's been taken away and i think that's very disempowering and i am also struck by how um sophisticated and considerate um and also very honest Kara's response has been in the mm-hmm. face of this shitty thing happening yeah. to her yeah so it's already hard enough uh but yeah I guess once it's a lawsuit right it's public everything about that becomes public uh grabs yeah you know exactly that's so right she's dropped her sandwich and the seagulls are mm-hmm. nearby mm-hmm yeah, that's true. Um, I wanted to read um, a quote from Kara. Um, she was reflecting on um, in a in a recent article, which we can provide a link to. Oh, um, oh, here, let me let me write it down as you say it. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, so, um, Kara was reflecting on the experience of transnational adoption um, and her own personal experience as an adoptee so she says it's amazing how we as adoptees manage it all if I do say so myself we are expected to forget the trauma surrounding our circumstances of arriving into our new families we're expected to move on and not dawdle on mere things of the past as what good will come of it we're expected to be thankful and happy for this new life we've been given. And if we ever dare to search for our roots, then what went wrong in our childhood that we would ever have this longing? Are we not happy or thankful for our current families? I've been criticized quite a bit since my child broke headlines around the globe from strangers and even loved ones with these types of questions. As often as I say I can brush it off, it of course does hurt. How is it that people are so ignorant about adoption and the complexities involved? Well, because they're they are ignorant. You know, they don't they're not adopted. Uh, but yeah, I think that's. I'll be honest with you. A lot of that I thought. I've I'm guilty of thinking a lot of that. Um, definitely. Like, aren't you happy with your new like mm-hmm. you? Someone scooped you up and gave you a great life. Mm-hmm. That, you know great quote-unquote who knows I don't know her home life or upbringing at all mm-hmm. um you know being in the system is never easy but uh yeah I've def- I'm definitely guilty of thinking a lot of those things and it's really interesting to hear her say of course I'm aware of that of mm-hmm. course that's on my mind but uh, this is my effing story mm-hmm. back off like mm-hmm. this is what I need as a human being you need loads of things you know I need consistent back rubs. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But yeah, that's cool to see her address that, and mm. it opens up a whole new like perspective for mm. me as well. Yeah, definitely. It's really. I mean, Kara doesn't really touch on it in this quote that we just read out then, but I, for me, around transnational adoption, I just instantly think if I was born in a particular country and then adopted out into a different country, how would I be connected back to my roots? Mm-hmm. Um, not just with individual family members or knowing who they are, but cultural roots, yeah. linguistic roots. Um yeah would I visit? I mean, how, like, what are the ways that, um, an adoptive family can, um, nurture those things in you? Um, and I mean, I'm sure there's some really amazing adoptive families who do all of those sorts of things. And people of course might still really want to, um, find their birth parents and, and understand it. And it's, I think those two things are possible. You can have a wonderful, childhood and and life and be thankful for your family and enjoy your life but also feel um something's missing and there's a gap and there's a longing and I think yeah it's not one or the other two yeah definitely oh it's so fascinating I saw um something it was it's a podcast and I'll try and find it because I actually think a friend sent it to me I'm Mm -hmm. writing it down right now um uh oh have you ever seen the invention of lying no okay well it's the actress from that Mm -hmm. has adopted black babies and it these two it's a podcaster i can't it might be jada smith and someone else talking about um white jennifer garner yeah jennifer gardner uh, has uh adopted black children and and she goes on the podcast to talk about to share her story uh with these two women who um, it might be Jada Smith has her own podcast. I'm, maybe I'm butchering mm. it. Um, sorry, Pat, if you want to cut this a little <laughs> bit, but uh, they're talking about white people adopting black babies mm-hmm. and how they feel about that. Yeah. Um, and what that's like, you know, for her, Jennifer Garland. Garner. Garner. Yeah. Yeah. Garland. <laughs> Close well, enough. I'm literally like a mom now. <laughs> um, Do you regret having children though? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, I find that fascinating because you think like there are so many. On the one hand, I don't know anything about this topic at all. But on the one hand, there are so many babies out there and children who need homes. Mm-hmm. So yes. if you can, scoop them up. Um, scoop them right up. I don't know what the adoption process is like, but mm-hmm. I've heard that it's hard. It's really, really hard, which is good. <laughs> um, so there's that, that, that balance that you're kind of working with as well. Um, and then this cultural thing that is different. So mm-hmm. to some extent people say, oh, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. Um, but does it have to be your village? Mm. And then if this world is our village and we're all human beings coexisting and now we're getting to a place where, you know, you can fly anywhere, you can have your social media, you can stay in touch with people across the world so you can have the best of both worlds, would it not be okay or would it not be the future for the village to be all of us? Mm -hmm. And if you can scoop them up and take care of them and love them and 
do the best you can. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's just fat. It's fat. It's, there's so much that's that is already is constantly. Um, mm. I guess it's oh, whatever. Oh God! Every time we get into these conversations, which is the point of this podcast, I just <laughs> the whole thing becomes so overwhelming because there's yeah. so many things to consider about every effing topic. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many things to consider. It's so complicated. It's um. I actually looked into adoption here in the mm. Netherlands mm-hmm. myself, and I thought, I wonder what the process is. Um, I'll. I'll um, explore and I'm not eligible. Why? Because of why? Well, do you mind sharing? No, that's fine. Oh. Um, it's um, extremely expensive. Yeah. Like 30,000 euros. Wow. Yeah. Um, you need to be able to speak fluent Dutch in order to adopt a Dutch baby. Fair enough. Okay. Or child. Um, yeah. So I can't adopt a Dutch child mm-hmm. um you need to be an eu permanent resident so i'm not a permanent resident mm-hmm. um you need to not be doing any fertility treatments at all so for example ivf um which i am not nor was i when i was exploring this mm-hmm. um you also need to um have sufficient um accommodation Mm -hmm. of course of course you need to have that like a an appropriate home for somebody yeah but i would have only potentially been eligible for a to adopt a child from um the uk or europe more broadly Mm -hmm. and because i i can't speak fluent dutch and i couldn't transfer that to my child adoptive child but um yeah so kind of everywhere i turned there was the all of these barriers and the the final one which really fucking pissed me off was that <laughs> it said probably the process for adoption of a child from not inside the netherlands from uk or europe more broadly would be up to 5 years and if you would be older than 40 at the time of adoption you're also ineligible <gasps> No. And I thought of all of the criteria, that one seems the most absurd. To I me. would want 40 or above right. <laughs> adopting my children. Right, exactly. I mean, I would be, I would have been 41, but I was automatically ineligible. I. Oh. Yeah. Sit on a spike. It was really um, quite confronting, actually. And I thought, this surely, this age thing should be removed because so many people um, do explore adoption when they are experiencing infertility and fertility treatments don't work and then by the time this is happening you're often in your late 30s yeah yeah um but for so many years you've been invested in trying to create a family right and now adoption's not even available to you either no and it's just... I just found it um, quite shameful mm-hmm. and I thought there's children who need to be adopted and there's willing parents who, mm-hmm. um, you know, would be able to to adopt and you just can't. So anyway, that's a personal anecdote. But I was um, very fascinating, mildly enraged yeah. there for a short time yeah. and then I, I stopped looking into it. But um, 
But then you, you start to think, which I didn't even consider is the eligibility of these things where, um, yeah. you know, maybe you are in other circumstances and then your only choice, if you're desperate to have a child or take care of a child, then you look, it doesn't, it doesn't, you're not really choosing where the kid comes from, which is, mm. you know, something to consider mm. on the other side. Yeah. So car, cars on blast. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow, yeah, I mean, and so many people just chiming in when really she's just looking for her mom. And so many people mm-hmm. are, of course, handing over their opinion because mm. it seems everybody thinks their opinion is worth gold these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it must I be I mean, I can't enough. talk. I have a goddamn podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We are worth gold. I'm like, Come I, on. I'm a Patreon member, please. <laughs> yes, give us the gold. And I just showed up today. I don't even have anything prepared. <laughs> just eating raspberries and giving you my opinion. But we love the spontaneity. This is this is the the magic. Um so yeah, we do have another story which we would like to cover. This is um our second person. Um a man named Atami Kawaii. So to give a bit of background, he was adopted in 1993 um, to Belgium from Bolivia. So really other side of the world. Okay. Um, so he was adopted as a six month old and he began reconnecting with Bolivia in his twenties. Um, and now he describes himself as being based in Bolivia, but when he started exploring his family heritage, he found that unfortunately information is extremely scarce. The mm. records aren't kept. It's really hard to get to anything. I was thinking that. Like, I just, mm. like, I, I don't know. I am, you know, people get really frustrated because they're like, where are the records on this? And yeah. how, how can I trace this? And et cetera. And the, the complications of keeping like a system that works for anything blows my mind Mm -hmm. i can't keep my macbook clean for the (laughs) life of me i always when i i bought it and i'm like i'm gonna have one folder for this and one folder for this and it's gonna be super clean and wonderful and two weeks later i my storage is full i have to buy more on my and i can't figure out why because i don't know what's taking up space yeah okay so yeah so so i'm just saying cut bolivia some slack before you (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, this was the 90s. I feel like by the 90s, Bolivia, you should have got your adoption <laughs> shit sorted. Um, but anyway, they still, yeah, they still haven't. Um, Atami is, at the moment, he's a PhD student and he's enrolled in both Belgium and Bolivia. So he's kind of across um, both countries. Um, and he also runs the network of Bolivian adoptees which is really amazing. So he does a lot of work around advocacy for transnational adoptees and his purpose in doing this is really trying to open up the conversation around it because um, as you were saying before, there's not a whole lot of knowledge. There's quite a lot of misconceptions and myths around it Mm -hmm. and people just don't know. Yeah. Um, He's said that he's constantly confronted just like Kara actually with the notion that he's quote lucky and fortunate to have experienced a transnational yep. adoption. So people make a judgment around Bolivia compared to Belgium. Mm-hmm. Belgium's a very um, wealthy and successful little country in Western Europe. So um, 
and I'll quote him here. He says, people think he was saved from my miserable future in Bolivia and to have a wealthy life in Europe. It's like people think we only won by being adopted internationally, but they often forget we have lost many things. I consider all the opportunities I have because of growing up in Europe as compensation for everything I've lost. And I have lost everything. That really struck me when I read that. I just thought, you know, I didn't think like that. I also am guilty of um, this misconception and just thinking, oh, but you've got so much, you've gained so much. But actually he wants to flip it and say, well, look at everything that I've lost. Yeah. Um, that was very powerful, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I bet Bolivia loves him. <laughs> <laughs> Poster child. Yes, I think they do. <laughs> um, he, he was, he's published on this. He's, um, he's done a lot of really um, amazing work and he really comes from a very um, academic and theoretical standpoint as well as obviously someone who's experienced the practicalities of this but he talks about that there is and I'll quote again violence implicit in transnational adoption and he actually says violence and I I I don't know I found that at first I thought oh that seems like a little bit too much but Mm -hmm. actually when when you unpack it he says that these are the ways that it's violent it's, it involves involuntary transcontinental displacement. You are completely severed from your genetic ancestors. You're disconnected from your community, your culture, your language, your nation, your continent. There is no possibility to ever find your family again. All our former identities are erased so we can be reborn, renamed, Christianized and assimilated with our adoptive countries. When you put it like that, Atami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When you put it like that. Yeah. The only one in that list that I didn't understand was the language thing, because wasn't he like six months when he got adopted? So he doesn't, he's not really talking. Right. But he also, growing up in Belgium, doesn't have the chance to learn um, his language. Yeah that they speak in Bolivia. Yeah, yeah. Of which we know. Not, we, we, just, know. we know. We know. Yeah. We it's just a want secret, you to feel secret effect. Yeah. <laughs> we just want you to feel the effects of this secret. <laughs> Every episode we're gonna give you a new secret to feel the effect yes. of. It's a secret secret. Now you know how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, 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 exactly. Well yeah. Yeah, I mean it's so true. When when you spell it out like that, I mean it sounds like some it just it threw me straight into mm. everything that I've read in America about like Native Americans. Right. When they would pluck people from you know, they would pluck children from the tribes and take them yes. and, and Christianize them and new language, new outlook, new culture, mm-hmm. new everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, it also reminds me of what um, has happened to the stolen generations and many other people um, who are um, Aboriginal people in Australia. Um, I mean, it's, it's genocide, really, but this has happened on a mass scale, whereas what Atami is talking about is exactly this, but on an individual scale. And maybe that's why, or one of the reasons why there's not as much awareness around it because it's individuals and the fact that people are kind of scattered around 
um, there isn't maybe as much of a collective around it or a presence around it. People are, um, there's that diaspora kind of structure where people are all over the world. So I think the kind of work that um, Atami's doing um, and there's some other um, some other really interesting groups which we can provide some links to as well where people are um, connecting um, around these transnational adoption issues. People are telling their stories. Kara Atami, I think the stories like this really help us to see something which we never would have unless we happened to know somebody we would not really hear about so mm-hmm. much. So I think they're, they're sharing their stories are very um, important for us to yeah. understand more. I mean, even when I've met somebody in person who is adopted that I know, um, the, the conversation stops at I was adopted. You just mm-hmm. go, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, or sometimes you're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then you're done. Yeah. That's it. That's the person that's adopted, and then you're—that's like a fun fact about mm-hmm. them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. The conversation comes, it kind of ends there. Mm. Have you ever met somebody who was adopted transnationally? Yeah, my cousins. Yeah, my both of my cousins are Asian. Yeah, uh, there. So we grew up. Um, uh, we grew up really close with my godfather, who is my dad's uh, brother, and my uncle. And he is also my godfather, which um, I always thought I was like the luckiest sibling because I have the coolest godparents. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> my other sister has a pretty cool godparent. Um, but yeah, my uncle is awesome. And um, I think I told the story on one of Robert Tooksies before where he adopted the wedding story. Yes. And he adopted and his smile. daughter. And the smile. Yeah. Um, they're both. Um, yeah, Asian, and uh, actually, she just reached out the other day, which is a really weird timing, Mm -hmm. because I haven't spoken to her in so long, but we grew up together, they were like our closest cousins, Mm -hmm. and they feel like distant sisters at this point, Um, but I've never really, I've never, it's actually, I think, I've never asked Mm -hmm. her how... But my cousin Elise, uh, I haven't spoken to about like how it feels mm. um, or, you know, things that she's come across. And I do think a, a little part of that in me, if I'm being fully honest, is like, oh, I shouldn't talk about that. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't ask her about that. Heavens no. Yeah. yeah. Especially like how would that make my, you know, my uncle feel or mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it, it does feel like a bit of like a no-no territory. Mm. But I wonder if she would be like thanks for asking Mm. or you know what kind of conversations they've had Mm. definitely I can imagine people not wanting to upset the parents the adoptive parents Mm -hmm. who I mean everybody hopefully is having a lovely life and is close within the family and everything and I can imagine um and I think this this cuts across with other family secrets as well, but people don't want to upset anybody and especially if life, their lives are going well by really addressing these kind of things. So um, I was just trying to rack my brains to think if I've met anybody and the only people that I have met who were um, adopted um, transnationally were two children who I 
did some care work for when I was in Australia and um, the mum had adopted, she had some, some kids of her own, but she also adopted one child from Vietnam and one child from India. And these were the two kids that I um, did some care work with. And she made a really concerted effort to um, open up their cultures for them, their birth cultures and language. And they did trips and they did celebrations and they made food and they talked about it all the time. And she was constantly trying to um, connect them. And I thought that was pretty amazing at the time, but I don't think I really now that I look back and I, I can appreciate it more yeah. now that I've yeah. also been through this family secret yeah. shiz of my own. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she, she did a lot of work. I mean, I don't know Atami in particular, who's done um, so much research around this, would probably have a lot of specific guidance for parents and things. But I don't know, this, this mum really seemed to be so conscious of it and try and embed this as part of their lives she yeah. never tried to cut them off or yeah. or anything and she was always open to questions and things and mm. it's interesting having two kids from two different places and I don't yeah. know anything about the circumstances of their adoption or um or anything like that but yeah, yeah. and I think I would like, back back in the day I think growing up had I known about the mom that mom that you're speaking about now doing this for her children, I think we all would have just thought that she was being too quirky or extra, right? It's like, oh, you know, what's the use of that? Like you're just being quirky, it feels Mm -hmm. like. But now it's, uh, that's so wonderful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just think, oh. I mean, I remember her, she had a sari, and and I remember thinking, God, I wouldn't wear it. Right, yeah. You know, just like, is that patronizing towards the child? Like I'm, you know, throwing on this um, traditional dress, but actually I think it was... um, Kind of magical, I think. Yeah. Especially for the kid. Definitely, and it was a way for her to share and celebrate that as well. Which Um, is also celebrating them and part of who they are. Definitely, yeah. Instead of being like, no, 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 like mm -hmm. like, uh, Atari was saying with erasing it, you know, like you're a human being, you're not a a slate. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that's nice. It's like uh, Mm. addressing it and, uh, you know, praising it and loving every aspect of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it acknowledges that, yes, you are adopted and this is your life at the moment. But, you know, there's other layers to your life and who you are and your identity and. Yeah, so, yeah, I um, actually, I wanted to read something from Atami as well. Okay. Um, this, this talks about, um, anyway, we'll, we'll let him say it in his own words. Okay. So he explains that we grow up with complete strangers. We are expected to love and call family. We are being brought into a society that doesn't want us, that racializes us and discriminates against us without any community that provides shelter or understanding. This so-called child protection system, mostly in the benefit of well-off Western adoptive parents who want to fulfill their heteronormative parental dream, erases everything from us. It is not the first time in colonial history child welfare systems, sorry, it is not the first time in colonial history 
that child welfare systems are used to shape, control and erase Indigenous children's identities. And most children adopted from Bolivia have an Indigenous background, be it Aymara or Quechua. Excuse my pronunciation. (laughs) Sorry. Sounded like a a a little bit of a (laughs) Um, Sincere apologies. There's so much air to it. Quechua. Um, transnational adoption is for me an ongoing colonial project of civilizing, controlling and managing children from the global south, transforming them from savages to civilized citizens in the she benefit quote, savages in quotes. Yes. In the benefit of the capitalist machine of the north. Transnational adoption would not have been possible without a history of colonialism and its ongoing colonial gaze towards countries in the south, such as Bolivia. So mm. he's obviously spent a lot of time yeah. in thinking about this and theorizing this and mm. positioning this as um, part of a broader structure of oppression against um, Indigenous people and indigenous children and i think this is really um i mean with these two stories we see from cara the very personal sensitive like she's been through this traumatic experience and she speaks just freely and simply from that perspective and atami has gone very deep into the the theory around it and he's theorized this experience and i think both stories offer so much because Kara just is telling her story as it's unfolding. So we're with her mm-hmm. as she's discovering these things. She's on this quest. And um, Itami is able to, through his work, he's able to contribute to the literature. He's able to hopefully, um, I'm sure he's presenting at conferences. I know he's published on this. He's able to actually help shape the discourse internationally around this kind of thing and so the contributions that each of them are making it's very i don't know i'm significant yeah. absolutely That's i'm so impressed wonderful. and i'm so um grateful to them both for sharing their own intensely personal experiences that have been traumatic and continue to be traumatic with all of us so we can hopefully understand more and benefit from this so it's yeah i think it's really remarkable it's good to see you so passionate. So good. You are mm. you are you are passionate about everything that mm-hmm. we, we talk about, but like there's a, a little bit of fire. Sometimes there's curiosity <laughs> and sometimes there's fire. <laughs> there's like fire today. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of fire today. Um that's yeah, I think yeah, I feel like that's such a great place to stop. You have more? Yes. Yay. Okay. Sorry, Pat. Can we no, just... no, I want to hear And then there's just like a tiny, tiny bit more. Oh my God, I want to hear it. <laughs> it just was such a lovely, because you did, you did, yeah, you did a wrap up. Good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Pat, maybe, maybe we'll stop there. This, I don't know if this lasts a little bit, but anyway. We're, we're going for it. Um, so I wanted to um, also talk about Atami's experience with the media because okay. he... Oh, obviously. Um, yeah, he also... Um, Um, speaks about it he says and another quote the media is a necessary evil it helped a lot in having our cases visible so this is when him and his friend went to Bolivia to try and find their um their birth families yet it's hard to control the questions they also have their own narrative that they want to show and in particular he notes that adoptees are constructed as poor wounded souls that need saving and mothers are constructed as abandoning their children Mm -hmm. fathers are not even really considered much Mm -hmm. 
So this is how he sees the media shaping this story. And then um, the the last thing I wanted to mention is something um, which takes it back to Kara. Uh, and she says, the adoptee experience is something very diverse. I know some adoptees might disagree on this and that's fine. I also know other adoptees might recognize themselves in what I write. Every experience is valid. So even in her depths of what she's experiencing, she's also yeah, just got this really kind of reasonable attitude about other people and yeah, Pat, that, that was shit. Can you just no, <laughs> take the that. other ending? But they have like <laughs> sort of they both have this kind of they have such good back they both have backbones they yeah. both have like really strong backbones through it because I mean you don't realize how much when unless it happens to you having like a ton of feedback mm. unwarranted feedback how it can really confuse you and break you down and confuse your purpose and which you know ties directly into your identity Mm -hmm. and there's which you know can really fucking wreck your sense of self and everything on a daily basis like it just goes from one to the next and so for them to come out of this on the other end being like I know people aren't going to understand it but this is my story and I think it's an important conversation to have and they are making moves for other people they're trailblazers Mm, yes is incredible mm-hmm. it's true and it's, it is really cool to hear the other side of it you know he's getting a lot of media attention as well and he's like you know what no news is bad news so mm-hmm. let's get the word out and you know they can write their op-ed however they choose and we'll have the people who read it be the judge mm-hmm. yes exactly it's amazing how r- really there's such a spirit of generosity with these people yeah people like Kara and Natami they're really um yeah god that is if you if you believe in it you know too because they are probably so demonized and mm. if with, with yeah. the people who are like just leave well enough alone mm-hmm. you know yeah but they're truly carving this path and i hope that and i'm sure they of course hope too that others will be able to have a smoother path who follow in their footsteps so mm-hmm. yeah and that's always a, why does it have to be one or the other these people are, are people these trailblazers are often mm. they'll they're going to be met with criticism mm-hmm. and i think that's fine maybe that will uh reshape them and make their you know journey stronger mm-hmm. more efficient with more perspective whatever it does in a, in a positive thing that uh in a positive way but also like let's look at the broader picture you know they're not trying to like shut down adoption Mm. or say like you said it's the best of both worlds they're Mm. not saying they're ungrateful in their quest to find their birth parent Mm. um and they're just gonna they're gonna help in some way or another Mm. by having the conversation by putting things in place so that there are options Mm. yes exactly and i like that it really, I, I feel really connected to these people in some weird way. Atami, Kara, you don't feel connected to me. That's fine. But I feel connected <laughs> to you because I feel like um, you it's are. Episode you've been talking to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I might as well not even be here. <laughs> I, I just feel like they're, um, 
they're sharing their personal story. They're not letting things stay secret anymore and it's worthwhile. And I think that is just, it speaks to the the core purpose of the secret effect. And I think that's one of the main reasons that we're here too. Yeah. So, yeah. So call us. Yes. (laughs) Call us, text us. Beep. Just, <laughs> get us on just, our beeper that would be so great oh that was lovely that I, honestly like well not honestly i've been honest this whole time that's uh strengths and weakness rolled into one is my honesty um but uh good to be challenged because in that moment where i'm like oh crap yeah i'm guilty of i'm definitely guilty of thinking like well don't you know they they lucked out in life, mm. you know? Now I'm intrigued. Now mm. I want to know more. Now I want to see this, the where this conversation goes and what it leads to so I can grow from it too mm-hmm. and understand this better. Mm, absolutely. I'm, I'm interested in Bolivia. I don't know anything about Bolivia and I really want to... Um, Except for the language. You know the yeah, language. I'm on top of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, easy. <laughs> easy got that so I'm I'm definitely going to yeah find out a little bit more about that and maybe that will just help me kind of place Atami's experience and his um the experiences of his um peers and friends as well so um yeah it's pretty pretty interesting betwixt number seven yes bye bye <laughs> doey doey um <laughs> Fine off and <laughs> yeah. Is that afternoon? No, no. That's off and is evening. Yes. Yeah. Been here two years. Yeah. <laughs> Fine off and. <laughs> the Secret Effect is produced by Patrick Collins with music by Sasha Hudemacher and your hosts Biddy Kemry and Katie Greenland. <laughs>